What's right? What is this with everybody? No, 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 no. What is it? It's really? Why? I'm not, I'm not. I'm serious. Fucking a man. It drives me nuts. Who gives a how long a scene is? What's up, dude? How you doing? Not bad. You not got bad. a flurry of movie merch going on here. Yeah, I do. I got my uh, Shark is Broken hoodie from the Broadway show, and I got my movies hat, and a plethora of shit in the office, but you guys <laughs> knew that already. But uh, but yeah, dude, it's uh, it's another week. Another, another week. Another time to discuss things. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm very much so looking forward to our intermission discussion, because mm-hmm. we briefly... What we started doing now is whenever we briefly start talking about stuff that would be interesting for the show, I'm like, stop. We'll, yeah. we'll save it. Halt. Yeah, we'll save it for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, with that said, though, we have a hell of a show for you guys. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to kick things off first with the movie news section of our show, and then we're going to go into our main topic, and then we're going to do the B-roll section of our show, which is kind of an extension of the movie news, which you'll see, and then we'll get to the box office at the very end. So um, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. I promise. <laughs> that sounded fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I promise you'll like our podcast if you just please subscribe and watch it. <laughs> I can't wait to dive into things. And speaking of diving in, let's dive into the first movie news topic that we have. Nicholas, what you got for us first? Yes, our first story comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Gerard Butler. We know Gerard Butler. Yes, we do. We, we love Gerard Butler. Well, I, I love Gerard Butler. I love Gerard I, Okay, Butler. We, we love, we we love, love Gerard, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. Okay, okay. Uh, Gerard Butler... Um, has resolved a legal fight over allegations that he is owed at least $10 million in profit from the 2013 blockbuster Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, so this was something that we kind of missed last week, and it's about when this story kind of dropped, mm-hmm. that I thought was really interesting, and I wanted to share it with you guys, because it, with the actor strike still ongoing, which, by the way, on the day that you're watching this, they're meeting again today. And, <laughs> Just our luck. And I swear, <laughs> if they come to a deal today, you're going to yes. see a Zoom portion of this show happen. Le- t- Wednesday. Yeah, or Thursday. After this post. Yes. Because our luck, that would happen. At some point. But um, with the strikes and stuff going on, I wanted to point out stories of like different ways that studios can kind of screw people out of money that they've made through various deals. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring this story to light. So I'm going to now read from the Hollywood Reporter article uh, Gerard Butler's 10 million Olympus has fallen profits, lawsuit settles. Gerard Butler has resolved a legal fight over allegations that he's owed at least $10 million in profits from the 2013 blockbuster Olympus Has Fallen. Butler and his production company, G-Base Entertainment, in 2021 sued Los Angeles Superior Court, alleging some producers have earned tens of millions of dollars from the film but have refused to pay him for his share of profits. He pointed to a comprehensive, premeditated scheme designed to grossly misrepresent the finances of the film. I believe the companies he sued were New Image and Millennium uh, Media, according to THR. Do you think G-Base is his nickname? It can be. I think we can start that. Yeah. G-Base? G-Base. All right. Whenever I see his name, I will now refer to him as G-Base. All right. Thank you. Uh, Under his deal to star and produce the movie, Butler is owed box office bonuses, a 6% domestic revenue, and 2% of the foreign revenue, and 10% of the net profits. God damn, what a deal. What a deal, G-Base. 
Uh, according to the complaint, an audit revealed that New Image and Millennium Media understated their receipts and profits from Olympus Has Fallen by over $11 million. This included failing to report that roughly $8 million in payments to their senior executives, among other alleged misrepresentations, were understanding domestic revenue by over $17.5 million and deducting residuals that were never paid, which may have had implications for the crew's health care eligibility, the lawsuit said. GBase argued that distribution agreements were fraudulently, fraudulently structured so that distributors didn't have to report all the gross receipts. Producers instructed those distributors to deduct certain amounts from the grosses they would not report to producers, said the complaint. Producers, in turn, did not include these deduction amounts in the financial information provided to GBase. So, fucked up. Mm-hmm. And basically, this kind of shit happens all the time. Um, I think Tom Hanks infamously once said, you know, if you ask the studio, Forrest Gump didn't make any money, which is a ridiculous thing. Made so much money. Yeah. And um, it's, it's just these little maneuvers that there are no protections for. And he was a producer of the film, too, so even as a producer of the film. Mm-hmm. And this isn't even, it's a studio issue, but it's also the production company issue. Like, it's just people trying to screw other people out of money. And this happens all the time. It's one of the reasons why both actors and the writers were fighting for streaming revenue to get released, because they want to be able to see that, of course, with the writers... They have to sign NDAs when they look at the data, of course, which I think, is, I think a similar thing will happen with the Actors Guild. But I just found this fascinating. I thought it was a, an interesting way to look at how companies can screw over the people who make these things possible. Like, this movie doesn't happen without Gerard Butler. No. It, it definitely doesn't make nearly enough money. Gerard Butler, yes, Gerard Butler has a built-in special audience that's just like, I'm going to go watch your thing. <laughs> I love it. As long as you keep the budgets down, they'll be fine. I think you could watch a trailer and you could just show Gerard Butler in the last frame and all of a sudden it would be like, huh, I'm interested in that right. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great time to shout out Plane, which was a great movie that came out this year. Listen, it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. It was fun. <laughs> you didn't believe me when I saw I it. I said, it. dude, you got to see Plane. And I was alone in that theater. <laughs> And I enjoyed it. It's quite a fun movie. I can't wait for ship. Is it boat or ship? I think it's ship. Ship. With uh, Mike Coulter back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hope we get a Gerard Butler cameo. I never saw Den of Thieves. I think I did. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember. They blend sometimes. Uh, but yeah, but what are your thoughts on this? And are you hoping that the actors and maybe even other deals on the line with IOTSE, hopefully can implement some protections to things like this or, you know, what, just what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think that creative accounting has been a thing for so long to hide profits, to cover up for failing movies. But I think that there needs to be protections in place for the actors, you know? Right. Or in this case, you know, what Jar Butler's owed as a producer and his acting deal, that should all come out before you start distributing that money to other pictures in your repertoire that didn't make make money yeah um is this similar at all to like the stuff that happened with like gal gadot and uh scarlett johansson with their movies going to streaming or is it kind of a different it's kind of a different thing okay um basically this was he had a certain deal Mm -hmm. and they lied on how much the film made okay to pass along so that they wouldn't be paid out but then they took the money that was missing and paid themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of just like, that's why he's suing to get the money. It'd be one thing if he was suing, just saying like, I'm owed this. And it's like, well, the film didn't make this. Yeah. They had proof that the film made a certain amount. And with that certain amount should have been paid this. And it was not paid this. Why was I not paid this? And that's what the investigation kind of led to. Okay. And so they did settle. It doesn't say for how much, but the lawsuit was for 10. I imagine it's around there. Yeah. 
I mean, I think when it comes to stuff like this, if it comes to light and when it comes to light, because as we've seen lately, transparency is becoming a much more bigger thing with this sort of thing. Yeah. And I think it's just going to end up costing them a lot more than what it was just to pay it off. Yeah, most likely. And it's, you know? it's, it's, and it's a ridiculous circle that you see over and over again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, I mean, clearly it gives them also the studio's time to figure it out, you know. The I don't know who the studio is with Millennium Media. Yeah, needs to find ten million dollars for a movie that came out ten years ago. Yeah, you know the with inflation and everything that's a significantly different amount of money than it was back then. Yes, so it's just costing them more anyway. They just had ten years to pay it off. Yeah, you it's, know it's just a, a stupid cycle. Yeah, that needs to be cut out. I agree. I agree completely. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about this bullshit that they did to G-Base? Let us know in the comments below as we move on to our What's next. What's your favorite Gerard Butler movie? Yes. What is your favorite Gerard Butler movie and why is it 300? All right. Next, we're moving on. <laughs> no, to... I've never seen it. I have the 4K. <laughs> we've saved cinema right. today. Let's put an intermission up and we'll come back in three hours after <laughs> we've watched after it. After we've watched yeah. 300. Oh, man. Uh, what do you have for our next story, Nicholas? Our next story comes to us from Deadline. Uh, Deadpool 3 has officially moved off of its release date um, as the actor strike shakes up the 2024 theatrical schedule. Yes, yeah, so um, coming from Deadline, um, since the studios are not refusing to make a deal with the actors, um, Deadpool 3 has officially come off of its release date. Yes. At least that's what it seems from Deadline. I'm now going to read from the article directly. And one of the first major blows to the 2024 theatrical release window due to the ongoing actor strike, sources tell us that Marvel Studios' Deadpool 3 won't be making its May 3rd start of summer theatrical release date, even if the strike ends in the next few weeks. A 2024 restart of the half-finished Deadpool 3 would not get the Ryan Reynolds Hugh Jackman 3 equal to a May opening date. There's just too much to do in regards to reassembling the crew, etc. Note, this is just the beginning for 2024 titles. Other studios have yet to play the game of the three-card Monty with their most notable films that are in position similar to Deadpool 3. What happens at the start of the summer now? This is a long shot, but some sources are telling us that Captain America Brave New World, which was originally for May 3rd and then was pushed to July, may actually push back to May since it's in better shape since it finished production. So we actually had a question about that last week. Captain America 4 did wrap filming. Disney typically holds on to highly coveted release dates. Therefore, if Deadpool 3 doesn't go back to July, there are other options like early November, which has been rich for Marvel with the Black Panther releases and Thor Ragnarok, or December 20th, which is where Marvel Studios' Thunderbolts is dated and Deadline first reported Marvel had paused the production of Thunderbolts back in May. So, Thunderbolts did start, did not finish. No. So, if Captain America takes its place in May, then Deadpool may go in that Thunderbolt spot. Mm. It's kind of just shuffling release dates because as the article says... They don't give up release dates. No. If they have that release date, they're just going to put something else there. That's how they operate, which is smart to operate in that way. I mean, well, it's a good release date, but also I feel like I wouldn't put it above Marvel to put in an unfinished movie. We've seen it before. <laughs> but with that being said, we now have this news coming out last week of the Secret Invasion problem and the Daredevil Born Again problem yes. of them being like, this shit ends now. So my question to you do you think they'll put Captain America in that May 3rd date, or do you think they'll keep its July date and then move Deadpool to November? Will they put Deadpool in July and move Captain America to November? What, what are your thoughts on this, and do, are you surprised that the film was delayed? Uh, I'm definitely not surprised that it was delayed. I think that looking at their upcoming slate, that Deadpool 3 is one that they really need to be a hit. Right. Audiences and everything coming off of 
now it's a Marvel-owned property. It's Marvel making the movie. And you're bringing back Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, which I think a lot of people were already excited, but also very hesitant on because they felt that Logan really wrapped everything up nicely. Yeah, agreed. That's not to say that Logan's ending still won't be canonical. Yeah. Just the concept of such a good closing to the character. Mm -hmm. And I think with the quality that Marvel's been putting out, as we discussed on uh, the last show, you know, with all these writers' shakeups, it might be great to just sort of push the release dates and make sure you're putting out a good product. That being said, the more dates that get pushed, the farther away we get from sort of wrapping things up with like Kang uh, Dynasty as well as Secret Invasion. Yeah. And making sure that that momentum, that that fatigue does not set in with what they've been putting out. Mm -hmm. And by the time we get to that, people not caring. Yeah. That being said, I really don't know what they're going to do here. I mean, if Captain America is in a good spot, you know, I think a July release date's a great time for a Captain America movie. Right around like Fourth of July, patriotism's at a high. Yeah, you know, I oh, think true. that a Captain America movie in July is a great idea. Yeah, and it really does come down to what is their schedule going forward. Can they afford to push everything back a date and keep that? You know, push mm -hmm. Thunderbolts to the following April or May or something. Yeah, but it's also you know I know Marvel has these spots, but really they are Disney owned spots. You know, so are we going to see something that was maybe a Disney Plus animated movie going to be put on the big screen mm. instead? Okay. You know, are we going to see something, well, okay, Frozen 3's done. Can we just chalk that up to there? I don't know what, I don't think it's done. That was just yeah, a hypothetical. Just, yeah, 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 do they have something that's close to being done that they'd be like, oh, we could just put that there and swap yeah. them? Basically, we have the spot. Let's go through our catalog and see what can go up Yeah, there. what's yeah. done that's just sitting on the shelf waiting for its release date and yeah. doesn't make sense with what else is coming out to do that because there could be some mm -hmm. good counter programming especially yeah. as we're coming into you know the beginning of the year may and everything yeah so and i think the deadpool 3 conversation the reason why it's so fascinating is because i've heard from multiple different outlets that this is a top priority for disney and marvel yeah is this film and there's a lot of rumors that it's going to tie directly into the next avengers film and I, so i think this is a film that they definitely want to take their time with and not rush which is why they're quick to push this movie back farther than other films yes and um i think they i mean marvel used to know every time that they had a film they had a winner on their hands it's not that much so anymore i think they f really feel like they have a winner on their hands yeah so I mean, feige thought they were cooking with quantum mania so we'll see. hey listen it happens you know you, you win some you lose some again yeah. too big to fail hey people ask me all the time what's my favorite film i've made whichever one i'm currently promoting yep that's the answer that's also fair yes yes and uh, with that down, we're now going to move on to the main topic that we had today, which is on the subject of intermissions, specifically intermissions at the movie theater. And what kind of sparked this discussion is we were talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, which you can now see our review up on the channel and our Out of the Theater reaction if you would like to see that. Um, we both love the film, but it is a long film. And we were talking, we were kind of looking at box office projections and speaking about it and just thinking like, what could get, especially post-pandemic era, sorry, what do we think could get people to kind of go back out to long, like really long films? Like what could, because oftentimes you'll see studio mandates of a certain length. It has to be a certain length or we won't take it. And one of the people of who made this film being Apple, I think their long-term thinking is even if it doesn't make a lot of money, it's going on to our streaming service, you know, and um, Paramount helping as well. So the the solution that we were kind of talking about is like, well, what if they brought intermissions back? What if they released a, th a three and a half hour movie like Killers of the Flower Moon and there was a 10, 15 minute intermission in the middle? Mm -hmm. And 
would that be a good idea? Would audiences respond to that? Like if someone who only is trepidation of seeing Killers of the Flower Moon was the movie's too fucking long. What if you followed up with, oh, but there's an intermission. Would that make them go, oh, I'll go see it now. Or would it do nothing? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the, the idea of the discussion. I am on, I don't know, I don't really know Nick's full side because we stopped discussing it quickly so we could talk about it on the show. Yeah. And we may have the same opinion, but I still think it makes for good content, so whatever. Um, I'm of the mind, I think intermissions, intermissions would help significantly. Okay. And, but you'd have to really promote that, that the film has an intermission. And I think you could even make, like, a big, like, blockbuster film. I mean, Zack Snyder's Justice League was a four-hour movie, but it was a streaming release with some limited... Um, charity theatrical screenings, and those did have an intermission. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you could make a huge event film. Like Avengers Secret Wars could be five hours with an intermission, mm-hmm. and I think people would go. Now, are you sacrificing a shit ton of showtimes because of that? Uh-huh. But having that be advertised, and, and even not blockbuster movies, like a movie li- like Killers of the Flower Moon, movies like Oppenheimer, I think, and, and you could even have a two-and-a-half-hour movie that has an intermission if you wanted to. I think it just depends on preference and mm-hmm. Where my thing comes into place, though, you would have to make the movie knowing it's going to have one. Mm-hmm. Because if you just take a movie that's finished and try to place an intermission into it, if it's placed at the wrong time, it's going to rub your audience the wrong way. Because what you're giving is not just a 10 to 15 minute you know, bathroom break food. It's an opportunity to fucking leave. Yeah. And what are you going to do to make sure people come back into that second part? And you would have to make... It's kind of like back in sit like in broadcast television sitcom days where you would write into scripts when commercial breaks would happen. And you would shoot and edit them for when commercial breaks would happen, where that fade out would happen and then the fade in and they almost repeat what they said before they went to commercials in case you were tuning in the first time. Yeah. I feel like there would have to be some version of that in order to do it. But then that conversation becomes, is that worth doing? Mm-hmm. Is it worth building a movie to an intermission moment? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can put an intermission at any point in the movie and it wouldn't bother some people. I, I thought about this all night. <laughs> so my thought is, I think if you made a movie and you realized at some point in the scripting phase or the shooting phase, like, oh, this is going to be a big bitch. We need to work an intermission into this. Where is the best place for it? Or should we switch something up so that when we get to our intermission, it's something that will bring the audience back in the theater. Like imagine if instead of across the spider verse and beyond the spider verse being two films, it was one film and the intermission happened where that cliffhanger happened. Mm -hmm. People would come back in that fucking theater after that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I am pro intermission as long as I think the intermission is done well, but is it worth doing well topic for a different day? Nicholas, your thoughts. I'm wildly against it. Oh, okay. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Yes. Um, for several reasons, uh, uh, kind of going with what you just said, that just sort of seems very tedious to have that. Okay. And you run the risk of people leaving, timing it. And I think biggest of all, that is going to interfere with the director's vision. Mm, okay. Kind and, of similar to what I was saying. Yeah. yeah okay. And I think that also, at least for me as a moviegoer, moviegoers, uh, movies take me out of reality. Yes. Right? That is where I go to not disassociate, because I am focused intently on the movie. That's where right? I go to disassociate. Yes. <laughs> but, like, for example, I'll say this with, like, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Right? My car broke down on the way to see that movie. I didn't think about my car once the entire time there. The 
walking into the theater, yes. Walking out of the theater after, yes. All I could think about. Yeah. If there was an intermission, I would have popped back into that and thought about that for the remaining half of the movie. Yeah. You know? And I think also that, again, the vision, you run the risk. I Honestly, I don't think that there is... I don't think concessions are going to see a spike either. You know, you buy a drink, you can get a free refill. You know, and yeah, that's an opportunity to do that, but you're not buying a new drink. You're refilling your popcorn. You're not buying more snacks. You know, I don't think... I think the, that the theaters are going to lose money because now they're sacrificing times where they could, you know, if you collect all the intermissions for one day of Killers of the Flower Moon. Interesting point you're bringing you're up. You're losing a showtime. Interesting point you're bringing up yeah. as someone who's worked at a movie theater. Yeah. You would absolutely make more money on I think so. Yes. But I, that's yeah. just my perspective of working in one. I guess I'm going as a film, uh, as me as a film goer. When yeah. I run out of candy, I'm not like, oh, I need candy you know i'd like oh no that was the candy i got for the movie it's done i don't think i would buy more i think i would be refilling maybe a soda or anything my perspective is let's say your showtime's at one o'clock yeah prime lunchtime and you go in and it's a four hour four and a half hour movie mm -hmm. and your intermission is at like three thirty. you might not be dinner hungry but you're going to want something. You know, like it, that is true. Basically, it's the chance to go out. And sometimes all people need is the chance. Mm -hmm. Right? I would never leave in the middle of a movie to get concessions. Yeah. But if I had a chance to go get some and the movie was paused, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, how many times do you pause a movie at home and go grab a snack? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, it's a... But you have the ability to pause is the thing. Yeah. You know, you could pause whenever. TV shows are typically an hour. You can pause it. Yeah. You know, you can stop between a show. I actually pulled up, I was looking at some quotes from directors on the Ooh. thoughts as well. Yes. I, I want to see um, So I'm not, I'm going to use something Martin Scorsese said okay. as well. Okay, let's hear it. And it's specifically in relation to um, Killers of Flower Moon. This is a okay. recent quote. Okay. He says, uh, People say it's three hours, but come on, the director said. You can sit in front of the TV and watch something for five. Also, there are many people who watch uh, a theater, a play, for three and a half hours. They're real actors on stage. You can't get up and walk around. You give it that respect. Give cinema some respect. Now, I understand the sentiment of what he's saying. And guess what plays have? I don't. I, I disagree with what he's saying, though. Uh -huh. I understand what he's trying to go for. But when you watch something on TV for five hours, you can pause. Yes. There are the breaks. Theaters, three and a half hour plays, have an intermission. Yes. Yes. But it's also designed for that intermission. It's designed for the yes. intermission. Uh -huh. And I think that film is not a medium that should have that. Okay. And and I, I agree with you, but yes. my, my whole thought process is if your vision is like, I'm going to make a fucking four-hour epic movie. Yes. Can part of that vision be building into the movie an intermission? I think it can. Mm -hmm. Now. But. Okay. Do I think every movie should just have an intermission slapped into it? No. No. But I think if you make a movie with the intention of an intermission, yeah. it shouldn't stop you. I'll use a director whose quotes that I actually do agree with here. Okay, let's go. Um, there was another long movie that came out just this last year. Fuck me up. Avatar The Way of Water. Yep. <laughs> this I'm was, so excited for what James Cameron's about And this was James Cameron's response when someone said, well, what about like a pee break or something? Yeah. When should they go? And he said, anytime they want. They can see the scene they missed when they come to see it again. That's such a great fucking And he response. goes on again. And again, he uh, he also brought up the people watch things for um, 
mm-hmm. like on TV for five hours. But that's I don't think that that is a good argument that they're making. I see what they're going for, but again, you can you can pause. I'm trying to find this other quote that he had that was really. Here we go. Uh, James Cameron also said, here's the big uh, social paradigm shift that needs to happen. It's okay to get up and pee. And I just agree with that. Yeah. You know, and I think that movies are designed in a way, and if you watch movies, if you see movies, and just general social things, you can sort of tell when there's a dip, right? Stories a lot of times have the same structure, right? There's act one, the bridge, act two, the bridge, the finale. And I think that there are times when you can reveal, when you can see. Now, I you think you should see a whole movie, but I think that watching a movie, you can sort of tell, like, okay, I think that this is going to be, like, you can tell, okay, this is a good time for me to get up for a minute to go pee. Yeah. You come back and someone says, what happened? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times when you're watching something, do you go to the bathroom and you lean over the person next to you go, oh, what happened? You go, oh, nothing. They were just talking mm-hmm. about, like, what to have for dinner. Yeah. Because you know, you can sort of tell with the expression, the emotion, the way the story's being told. Yeah. Like, okay, this is just a a character scene. Like, we're not going to get a lot of development here. Counterpoint. Okay. The reason why they do the watch at home argument, maybe not them specifically, but the reason why I think the watch at home argument works is because, oh, they can pause. Mm -hmm. That's what an intermission is. You're pausing. Yes. And I think that some people just are mentally exhausted watching a movie, like a long movie. And I think if you take the average moviegoer and you sit them down like this is a four-hour movie and then after two hours they took a break and they could go like step outside, take yeah. fresh air, fucking cigarettes, you know, call somebody and yell at them. I don't know. I'm just yeah. – things I see at the theater. <laughs> and go back in and that mental refresh can I think get people back into watching those kind of movies where ways I don't think that movie gets seen at all. Okay. Also though – that is in favor of getting people back into the theaters. Now, let's say our group, for example, that goes to the theaters every Thursday. Mm-hmm. And I was glued to the screen during Killers of the Flower Moon. I didn't want to get up and pee for any second of it. Same. And I honestly didn't even need to pee. That was just, I didn't really drink that much that day. Um, I didn't feel that urge. You know, for someone who doesn't want to pee, that just wants to watch the movie uninterrupted, who's probably a frequent moviegoer. Are they going to be pissed off sitting there for 10, 15 minutes with nothing? Ha- you know what I mean? Maybe. But but I would argue if they're a frequent moviegoer, mm-hmm. being upset that there's an intermission, they're still coming back next week. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's not a thing that's going to get them to stop coming. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted that opportunity to watch it all the way through, maybe there could be screenings that do do that. Like, hey, this is an intermission-free screening. Or, you know, on the DVD. It just seems very convoluted. Yeah, it is convoluted. I agree. Yeah. But but I also don't think every movie that comes out is going to be four hours. I think it's going to be like a situational thing. I Like, if you're telling yeah. me, would you watch a six-hour Avatar 3? Which I think there's a cut right now that's eight hours. Mm-hmm. No. Would I watch it with an intermission? Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the difference for a lot of people. I think if you're going to that extreme, yes. I think three and a half hours is not that extreme to require an intermission. Fair. Eight and, hours. And that line eight is hours be short. Different. Yes. That, that line's going to be different for other people. Yes. But yes, I see what you're saying. That The line's there. Like, I don't think I, like, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Mm-hmm. You said there was a theatrical one that had an intermission. Yeah. Just play the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It, if it's and honestly, that, if, I think. If it's that important, because the example with that one, though, right, that was something that was day and date. It was select theaters. Yeah. It wasn't available wide. Yeah. But it was day and date. 
So if you really need to see that movie on the big screen and you really need to pee, mm-hmm. go pee and then watch what you missed at home. It, you can pull it up on your phone in the bathroom here's and an, keep here's playing an, along. Here's an argument I'm going to give you and myself. Uh-huh. The reason for intermissions a lot of the time back in the day was because of the, how, the size of the film reels. Mm-hmm. And you had to switch them out. And after a certain period of time, it was going to take a minute to switch it out. Okay. So that's where the intermissions came in. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if that was the case. I don't think it was showed on film. Zack Snyder Justice League, it might have been, I don't know. But uh, I think now that's not a problem with digital projection. Yeah. And unless you want to watch a movie on 70. But um, I think if the film reel was any bigger on Oppenheimer, they would have had to have had an intermission because that bitch barely fit. Yeah. But it's it's just one of those things. And 30 of, minutes less than Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. Yes. And if Killers of the Flower Moon had a 70, it probably would have to have an intermission. Yes. So it's just like, it's just one of those things also. Yeah. But I think now that we have the power to, we, intermission's been to our will now. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a unique opportunity. That's all I'm saying. And also, I want to point out the last film that was released wide, not yeah. counting re-releases of other films, was Gandhi back in 1982. And yeah. it won Best Picture. And how long was Gandhi? Great question. Three hours and 11 minutes. Weak shit. <laughs> Unnecessary. Excellent. I think if you're going to have an intermission, your movie needs to be minimum four hours. That's where I'll concede. That's, that's where you draw the line? That's, that, that's where my line would be. And listen, I don't disagree with you, but, but I know some people that were like, I love an intermission after like 40 minutes. <laughs> and I think though, like, it, it's retention too. I think if your movie's not great, people might just leave. Yeah. Which is the risk you're gonna take yeah and i think that could also cause flaws in rating systems maybe yeah because the people that stick around if they get caught in that score it's gonna be yeah. great oh and, and if i was the theater you ain't getting no fucking refunds if you leave during intermission exactly ain't no goddamn that's gonna way. cause so much fight it won't no no like if you if as long as you make it a point beforehand it won't i i think ultimately where i lie is i side with james cameron it's okay to get up and pee or in modern slang, go piss girl. <laughs> I am of the mind, as a movie goer, I don't mind. I can probably watch up to four and a half if it's really good. I think an admission would just anger me. I'll be honest. I think, But I think that there would be a great a period where there's that adaptation. I, to I think it. it depends. Yes. Like an, an intermission could upset me. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it always will or always won't. I think four hours and two hours in, I could see... Mm-hmm. That that that's where I think my personal line draws. I don't see the point of an intermission in something like Killers of the Flower Moon or Oppenheimer. Again, unless you are specifically at a massive seventy million seven seventy millimeter seventy millimeter release yeah. where it dictates it. But if you're watching a digital screening, no. Fair. Fair. What do you guys think about intermissions? Should they make a comeback? What what are the points that would make you want to have an intermission or not have one? Thank you for that discussion. I thought that was interesting. That was a good one. And uh, again, just let let us know what you think in the comments below. As we move on to the B-roll section of our show, what's that? Uh, It's an extension of the movie news section of our show, but we just had only time to bring you kind of the headlines of what's going on. Don't have time to do a deep dive. Nicholas, what's first up on the B-roll? First B-roll, a group of A-list actors led by George Clooney presented a proposal to SAG-AFTRA leadership during a Tuesday afternoon Zoom call in an effort to find a way to resolve the three-month-old actor strike with the studios. But 
the proposal is very likely dead on arrival. Yeah, so essentially during the last week, and like we said, as you're watching this today, they're meeting a SAG and AMPTP are meeting again. Yes. But um, some A-listers, including George Clooney, Tyler Perry, Scarlett Johansson, a few other people I'm leaving off, they met with SAG to be like, hey, here's an idea, and mm-hmm. like presented a deal that they could present. And SAG denied it, basically saying like a lot of it's a good idea, but they're not really in the room for the in- intricacies of where we're at. And so to them, they felt a bit like, we understand you're frustrated, but like, let us do our thing is kind of how it came across. But some stuff, and it was a good idea that I think they might incorporate, like the, the one that I thought was a good idea was they said the residual should work from the bottom up and say, if, it, if it's a percentage and the percentage has a chance of running out, start with the people at the bottom of the cash sheet and work their way up to who gets the residuals first. And if you run out, the people who got paid a lot up front don't have to worry about it, and, but the people who don't have that residual. Mm-hmm. And, and basically that involved putting like, because right now SAG dues are capped at a certain price, and these A-listers were saying, we don't mind putting in more if you want to remove that cap. Mm-hmm. And that was more kind of just specific to SAG. So it was just like, thanks, not what are we doing right now was kind of the whole point. Yeah. I, I see where the A-listers are coming from because I'm also frustrated with the strike. But I also see where SAG is coming from of like, just let us do our thing. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe after the strike's over, we might see some resolve to things like that. But I thought it was interesting to point out. Yeah, no, and definitely. what is the final B-roll we have for us? Our final B-roll story. Almost 30 years after first appearing as an animated television series, Gargoyles is taking flight once more, but this time in live action. Two major names in the creature feature business, Gary Doberman and James Wan, known for their collaborations on the hit Annabelle horror movies, have teamed up to remake the cartoon as a live action series for Disney+. There are no fucking words for how excited I am about this. I am so fucking amped about this. You have no idea. James Wan's Gargoyles is something I never thought would happen, nor something I thought I needed, but fucking inject that into my veins. Immediately. Immediately. (laughs) And I think this is going to do something that I'm hoping that the Five Nights at Freddy's movies does, which is just be a gateway for kids in horror. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, with horror for kids, you got to, it's a line you got to ride, but I think it can be done, especially with someone like James Wan. I think he's capable. I mean, I thought um, I thought uh, Eli Roth did a great job with uh, House, House with the, the Clock in its walls. walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jinx. I, I, Show's over, folks. Thanks for tuning. No, I'm kidding, Dalton. Listen, I, w- I would have committed. I would have done the whole rest of the show silent. The I just want you to know. Nick's doing the box office today. Let's see what <laughs> fucking happens. Yeah, no, but, uh, <laughs> but I thought it was good, but I think you can go a little bit darker than that, too, which I think is what they're going to do, mm-hmm. depending how much Disney allows. Yeah. Yeah. But that will do the B-roll section of the show, guys. Thank you very much. And now it's time to move on to the box office. The box office. And, Nicholas, do you have our predictions? I do. Dalton, you had Killers of the Flower Moon, Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, Exorcist Believer, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie, and Saw X. Mm-hmm. I had Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, Killers of the Flower Moon, Exorcist Believer, Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie, and Saw X. You were this close. I've been one off for the past three weeks, and, and it's getting annoying. And I've never gotten it honestly, right. Honestly, no one would have predicted what happened. I've never gotten so it you, right. So you, you've, I think you have before once. I don't think so. It'll happen. Cheer for Nick, guys. Come on, guys. Um, I really need this. So I'm going to, I'm also going to have it yeah. show up on the video as well for those joining along. Um, I predicted Killers of the Flower Moon and Mick 50. It didn't. But I was decently right about Taylor Swift, but it still still come in still came in number one. Okay. Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour, 
made $31 million in week two, dropping 67%. Killers of the Flower Moon made $23 million in its opening domestically. Exorcist Believer came in third with $5.6 million, dropping another 49% from week two to week three. Paw Patrol the Mighty Movie came in fourth, making another $4.4 million in week four. Coming in fifth, the re-release of The Nightmare Before Christmas. What? How fucking dope is that, dude? Good for them. And it made $4.1 million. I have a very important question to ask. My fifth was Saw X. Is that number six? Yes. How close were they? Uh, Saw X made 3.5. Oh, so not even close. I mean, relative. Relative. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like four. No, no. <laughs> But okay, Damn. but something that made me laugh. Yeah. Um, the how it listed on the numbers website is at the very end. It says what week of release it's in, and for Nightmare Before Christmas, it says one thousand five hundred sixty-seven. <laughs> it, it's up thirty <laughs> percent from the last from the last week. <laughs> That's so funny. Holy uh, shit! Well, talk about a wrench. Yeah, but hey, I'm not mad about it. Not at all. I'm glad that people went out to see it. But uh, let's dive in more, shall we? Yeah. Taylor Swift The Eras Tour now has $142 million worldwide. That's a major win. And Christopher Nolan actually gave, I don't know if you heard this, Christopher Nolan was talking about this. Mm -hmm. And he said, this is fucking great that this is happening. And they were like, why? And he's like, because they're showing the studios people still want to go to the goddamn theater if they just give them something they want. (laughs) But of course, I'm paraphrasing. Studio, but the studios, of course, will take, ah, oh, this means more concerts. Yes, of course, that's going to be the lesson. the wrong lesson yeah. to take. Now, I think that artists should take that they want more concerts. That would be great, because I think Beyonce's independently doing one, too, at the end of the year. Yeah, I'd be curious how that does compared to, Me to too. Taylor Swift. Yeah. Me too. Um, Killers of the Flower Moon, worldwide, I believe, has, it's not updated on here, but I saw on, I think, Deadline, mm-hmm. or one of the trades, that it, worldwide has $44 million right now. Okay. Domestically, it's at twenty three. Um, the production budget was $200 million, so it's got to climb. But It was an Apple movie. It's an Apple movie, but at the same time, other than the Marvels, with Dune out, this could be in the top five until the end of the year. Honest to God, would not shock me, because you see that with Scorsese movies a lot anyway. Mm-hmm. Just not even necessarily good drops, but just sticking in that top five. So do you think that with Killers of Flower Moon, we could have sort of like an Oppenheimer where it's just going to consistently just plateau and just keep making 10, 10, 10, 10. Potentially. 10. But here's the thing. Oppenheimer's opening blew this out Much of the higher. water. Yes. Yes. I think the three and a half is what's doing it. Yeah. But I think the longer it stays in theory, word of mouth is still the best word of way of marketing. Yeah. I think there are going to be people who think they didn't want to see it, but have heard such good things by week three, week four. They're like, ah, fuck it. And like, by the way, if this can stay in the top five until Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. I think it'll be fine. But that, that's a tough ask. That's a, well, about a month. We, we have, what, Five Nights at Freddy's, which I think will do well. It will. With the audience, the Marvels, mm-hmm. and when's Poor Things? Is that December or November? December. Okay. Yeah, it has a good shot, I think, definitely. Yeah. I think if it can stay within the 20s or even the 15s mm-hmm. for a couple weeks in a row, that's a good sign for them. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, the story here is going to be how it does... In the coming oh, weeks. Yeah. The Exorcist Believer mm-hmm. uh, now has a worldwide total of $107 million. So, uh, so far, it's made 3.6 times the budget, but there's also that $400 million price tag for the franchise rights. 
I think they want to make it about 150. I mean, they're happy with this number, yeah. especially considering how panned critically it was. They're going to be happy with this number. But if I were them, I'd want it to just get to 150. So that way, if each movie made 150, there's a lot of profit at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they I would be happy with this sum if I was them, especially given the critical response. Oh, yeah, definitely. Paw Patrol, the mighty movie, just keeps crushing it, dude. 132 million worldwide now, which is 4.4 times the budget. Cuckoo Bananas stuff. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's one of the most best profitable animated movies of the year, I think. Mm. It's doing quite well. Now, what I'd be curious... Oh, no, never mind. Ignore my statement. I was going to say, do you think that'll give it kind of a precursor to the Oscars? Spider-Verse came out this year. Yeah. Ignore me. I don't know why that just blanked my mind. (laughs) It's all good. Um, Isn't a Paw Patrol movie winning an Oscar for animated? I mean, listen, we've seen Stranger Things. What does that show have to do with this? All right, that was fucking funny. I'll I'll give you that. That was good. I'll give you that. Um, Something else I want to do. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Its new worldwide total is 77 million. (laughs) Way to go. Congratulations to Tim Burton and all involved. Yes. Um, The creator has hit 90 million worldwide. It came in seventh this past week. Um, 1.1 times that production budget. Shame, but it happens. Um, Saw X is the last one I'll do for now uh, $74 million uh, 5.7 times that budget I lied I'm going to do Haunting in Venice Because I think that's funny And it uh, $104 million It cost 100 There you go There you go Good job And uh, lastly I'm sorry One more Coming in 10th this week Was a re-release of Hocus Pocus New total is $49 million. I love these re-releases That is fantastic oh man uh predictions before we get into predictions there's yes. one thing i'm going to talk about go on cinema score okay because typically cinema score has a good indication of how your movie is going to do box office wise with some rare exceptions one exception being this year actually with gran turismo getting an a cinema score and just not doing well and after no, that no money yeah which was which is a rarity yeah. that that happens and i'll say it i really like the movie i enjoyed it <laughs> I, really, I did enjoy I, it Really liked it a lot. But um, just moving on from that, Kills the Flower Moon, A minus cinema score, mm-hmm. which could help in tradition in the traditional sense, unless we have another Gran Turismo, yep. should help its box office going forward. But it led to another discussion, which we briefly brought up on our movie review for this. The cinema scores for Martin Scorsese's films are baffling. Oh, yeah. Do you have the uh, image? Uh, I can get it. Oh, I have it. It's on the... Okay, yes. Let's take a look at the screen now, everybody. Uh, here are the cinema scores for several Martin Scorsese films. The Wolf of Wall Street, C. Shutter Island, C+. The Aviator, B+. Cape Fear, B+. Bring out the dead C-. Look at this! Wolf of Wall Street with a C! Shutter Island with a C+. I know. That is crazy. Shutter Island is his most slept-on movie. I'll say it. I fucking love Shutter Island. Are any of these, uh, looking, I guess, more specifically at, like, Wolf of Wall Street and Shutter Island, are those, like, in the top, like, 250 on the Letterboxd list? You know how they have I don't that know. list? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah, check that. that. I'd be curious. I'm also going to look at their box offices. <laughs> What's this guy's name? Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, wait. That's not even the list I need. So, Shutter Island. Talk about crazy shit with cinema score. Mm-hmm. C plus cinema score. Made two hundred ninety nine million dollars worldwide on a budget of eighty. So that's three point seven times that budget. Damn. Now let's do Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I don't. I'm not seeing him on here. 
No? I mean, there's a lot of Scorsese. Like, I'm seeing Raging Bull. I saw Goodfellas on there. Do you have a list of just the top? It's the top 250. King of Comedy. Okay. That was Scorsese, right? King of Comedy? All right. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. $389 million worldwide on a budget of 100 Wild. Crazy cinema score stuff. I don't know yeah. what was going on there. Honestly... I would love, if anyone wants to make a documentary about this, I'm far too lazy. I would love to see general attitudes of morality and religion versus cinema score. I think that's a great discussion. Because I have a fun feeling that Wolf of Wall Street came out, and when it opened with Leo doing coke out of a hooker's asshole, some people just immediately were like, mm. <laughs> Don't know <laughs> about this me. one. And others were like, Jesus cinema. wanted me to see this. <laughs> so, you know, that that... I guess that's fair. Scorsese, I mean, I don't know if that's correlated, but mm-hmm. Scorsese does tend to not necessarily see the good in, in people. In people? What? <laughs> no, no, what Scorsese does That's is... my film school analysis of Scorsese. I no, think that guy doesn't like people. I think he sees the good in people, but he does that by showing you bad people. That That is fair. Yeah. 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 It's It's quite the funny thing. Also, you mentioned King of Comedy earlier. Someone should make a supercut of this, but every time King of Comedy gets brought up to Martin Scorsese, he says, yeah, and and he says the exact news station. I forget what it was. He goes, yeah, and they said it was the flop of the year when it came out. Like, he has, like, a 40-year beef (laughs) with this, like, news station, and every time it gets brought up, he mentions it. It's so funny. I have only, now I'm I'm on my letterbox looking at this, I have not seen that many Scorsese movies. Jesus Christ. Or I guess I should say I haven't seen the big ones, right? So I have seen, I have not seen. Oh, no. Yeah, let me do what I haven't seen. Oh, Christ. I've not seen Shutter Island. I've not seen Raging Bull. Oh, Nicholas. I, I have not seen Casino. I've not seen King of Comedy. I have not seen Gangs of New York, After Hours, Aviator, Silence, Cape Fear, Bringing Out the Dead, which is a surprising one because that is Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Here's what I'll give you. I have not seen Gangs of New York, and I have not seen Mean Streets. But I have seen the bad music video by Michael Jackson fantastic <laughs> but that being said i love mean streets i love killers of the flower moon i love hugo i love the i uh, don't love the irishman actually good fellas i like the departed i love the Departed. that Departed is actually probably my favorite taxi driver departed damn all right um I, by the way here's some fun controversy i think casino is a better movie than goodfellas i've never seen casino i have it on 4k this is where the physical media comes in play. Another intermission <laughs> starting right now. Oh, um, man. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the box office, guys, this past week. And let's do our predictions now. Yes. Uh, so next week we've got Five Nights at Freddy's or FNAF uh-huh. for the fans. FNAF. Have you seen the new FNAF trailer? I um, do that as Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> I hated every second of that. Because I, I can't do Jack Black, and that's what I was quoting. <laughs> Skadoosh. Right. He did say that. Five nights at Freddy's, that's where I want to be. Uh, is that all we got coming out, or are there any other re-releases that I need to be I'm concerned with? I'm pulling it up. Ooh, Anatomy of a Fall comes out. But I don't know if it's why. That was a uh, festival movie that did really well. Oh. Yeah, no, I think FNAF is going to be the only... Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is still out, if you want to... Take that into consideration? Yes. Okay. My predictions. Yes. I don't think Dane Date's going to hurt FNAF all that much. I'm going to go kill, Killers... I'm, I'm sorry. Five Nights at Freddy's number one. Five Nights at Freddy's. Good. I'm going to try to will this into existence. Killers of the Flower Moon number two. Okay. Taylor Swift number three. 
Exorcist Believer number four, Paw Patrol number five. Oh crap, you stole what I was going to do. And that's not fun, so FNAF. You can do the same one if you want. Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, Killers of the Flower Moon, Exorcist, Paw. We're really not considering Nightmare Before Christmas making a hell of a comeback. You know I what? Think I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. Actually, hey, listen. I think the closer to Halloween you get. Yep. Nope. That's where I'm going. I'm gonna go. FNAF, Taylor Swift, Flower Moon, Exorcist, Nightmare. Damn. Let's see what happens. I'm gonna be so wrong. If watch you be wrong by like you flip Taylor Swift and Martin. Yeah. Like, but you get, but you got the Nightmare one right. That'd be so aggravating. Them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. Put your predictions down in the comments below. Yes, please do. We'd love to see them. And if you're right, we'll shout you out on the show. Um, thank you guys so much for watching. I've been Dalton Burdett. I've been Nick Arikio. See you on the next one.